Well, it's beginning to look like Christmas. And sound like it, too. The sights and sounds and smell of Christmas is in the air. It's a magic time for some. It's a tragic time for a few, also. Magic for the obvious reasons that it transforms whole cities and homes, sometimes hearts, and tragic because behind the facade, in many cases there's loneliness, emptiness, and the pressures of obligation and guilt and conformity, which enter in so much to the practice of Christmas. Speaking the Scrooge concept of Bah Humbug, we have the thoughts of Philip Wiley, refers to the hopped-up, pressure-laden, status-seeking, competitive degradation that is Christmas. Many who have survived many Christmases find their feelings mixed at times, feelings of nostalgia, looking back to other Christmases, perhaps warmer times, more prosperous times. Others, like children, looking forward joyously in expectation, sometimes for things beyond possibility of attainment. What's it all about? This thing we go through every year, this charade we play. What is Christmas about? A college professor was giving a word association test. Because it was a Christmas season on a whim, he included the word Christmas. When you read the word, you were supposed to put down the first word that came in your mind, associating with it. Then you checked the test over later. You're surprised to find that after Christmas, there was not one word that mentioned Jesus. There was a Christmas tree, Santa Claus, carols, gifts, candles, holly, no Jesus. Perhaps indicating this same feeling is the story of two women who were looking at a Fifth Avenue store window that had a lovely Christmas crash animated. One woman said to the other, wouldn't you know it, the church is even trying to horn in on Christmas. <laughs> what is Christmas? After focusing beyond the Santa Claus syndrome, we might bring ourselves to say it's the birthday of a king. One thing December 25th is not, is the birthday of Jesus. There's no record of the early life of Jesus. Matter of fact, later scholarship indicates that there was a mistake made in that first day of the first year, which is called Anno Donna Domini, the word that the year of our Lord that sets the beginning of time in the modern era. A mistake was made four or five years, so as we enter into New Year's this year, it may surprise you to know that, literally, it's we're going into the year 1996. <laughs> no one will pay attention to that, though, I'm sure. Especially the IRS. <laughs> it's shocking to some people to look at the facts of the case, that there's no history of the early life of Jesus. No knowledge, actually, of when or where it took place. These were legends that have evolved, perhaps soon after the writing of the scriptures, which took place 40 or 50 years after the fact. 
legends of the wise men and the shepherds and the angel coming to the manger where the child lay. In the inn where Joseph and Mary found no room, had to go in a cave. These are all legends. Doesn't mean that they're not true. They're myths, as Joseph Campbell so happily puts it. Basically, they have evolved for reasons of symbolical ideas, visions. We're mistaken if we think that they happened exactly like this. They might not have happened at all. If they did happen, they were probably a lot different. The easiest one to see from logic is the story of the Holy Family coming into the inn. We think of them stopping in on Harold Johnson's motel. The motel was full, so there was no room for them. That's the way it's evolved. A loud group of loud laughing revelers in the bar of the inn, and the innkeeper coming to tell the Joseph and Mary there was no room, they had to go elsewhere. And we see it in the light of modern day awareness of the situation and the scholarship that has helped us understand it. The inn was a cane, K H A N, which was an enclave, little more than a shelter from the ravages of the highwaymen and the, the wild animals. They go in, in the behind his shelter, but they still slept on the ground. There was no rooms. When the innkeeper said there was no room in the inn, he's being very loving. He said, "We have no room for birth of a child here, so let me take you to a cave." And he took him to a cave up in the hills where they could find warmth. Pity the poor innkeeper was always been reviled as one of the Scrooge characters of the situation. Terrible person who wouldn't let the child of God be born. It was a very loving act, a tender act of his, to find the inn in the hill, find the cave. This is an indication of how most of the legends have grown and evolved and become a part of a romantic keeping of the birthday of a king. December 25th date, was said in it by a church historian in the 6th century A.D., influenced strongly by a church historian by the Feast of Saturnalia. Rome had seen the futility of martyring Christians and saw the Christianity movement as a threat to the state. So as the tradition has it, if you can't beat them, join them. So they adopted Christianity. That's back of the bulk of Christian traditions. The traditions of the Feast of Saturnalia, which is a Roman holiday, a seven-day celebration. Houses were decorated, work was suspended, schools closed, no punishments inflicted, no wars were fought. And Father Saturn came down from the North Pole with toys for children. Sound familiar, doesn't it? Like in ancient Rome. Down through the years, there's been a strange dichotomy. From the pious observance of Holy Day, the happy holiday of gatherings and gift-giving, which too often becomes a hollow day of paste on piety and plastic trees. The delusion is that when we've kept Christmas, when we've engaged in the annual charade and all the legends that go with it, very soon the ornaments and the garlands are packed away for another year, and the stores make a quick transition to the January white sales. <laughs> Much like a neighbor that we had a few years ago, He's a very practic practical person. He didn't waste an effort. He was a very busy person on the go. We're coming on the lovely Christmas tree, she said. Oh, yes, I always have this. But how do you have time to decorate it so lovely? It's easy. I cover it with a sheet of plastic and I take it down to the basement like it is. <laughs> Next year, I bring it up, 
take the plastic off and voila, Christmas. The Nativity story deals with the awakening and consciousness of the Son of God's self. It has a tremendously important symbolical meaning if we accept the scriptures as a metaphysical sense. It can be a beautiful thing, but unfortunately, in most cases, this symbology leads only to a dead end. It has nothing involved in a personal relationship. It was not dealing with not something 2,000 years ago, but a divine depth within you. It's not known by many folks and not believed by, believe by those who know it. Jesus did not intend to start a new religion or to be an object of worship. He said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He didn't come to tell the world of his divinity, making him a great exception, but to tell the world of our divinity, making himself the great example. It's not just a play on words, it's a very important insight. Christmas is meaningless unless it gets this, this beautiful insight. He didn't come to tell of his divinity, and the events that happened are not describing his divinity. The life that we must understand to get the best of the Christmas idea is with his great exception, the great example of the divine possibility in himself, which he discovered to be a possibility in every person. So the great event in the life of Jesus was not his birth, but the breakthrough in consciousness through, through the years of his life. He discovered the indwelling Christ, the divine dimension within all persons. The only thing that gives Christianity its meaningfulness in our lives, it deals with the God self of you. None of a Jesus that lives sometime. Looking back to Jesus, it looks upon the great discovery that he made of the divine depth within you. So the celebration of Christmas must involve, if it's going to be meaningful, the dynamics of Jesus' life and the applications of the teachings that he brought for us. Strange enough, so much of Christianity is involved in the legends and the myths and the ritual and the form and ceremony that evolved from them. So much attention is given to this, that the focus of the divine possibility in man is left out. In many cases, the teachings of Jesus, the basic roots of the teaching, are left out. But most of the fundamentals of Christianity, ideas that have evolved in the years since, the virgin birth of Jesus, second coming of Christ, the infallibility of the Bible, all these things have evolved through the years. Had nothing whatever to do with the original story, which we don't know anything about anyway. So the celebration of Christmas must involve the practice of the teachings. You have to go to the scriptures and see what these teachings are, because in many cases they're left out, omitted. Such teachings as his statement, all these things that I do, you can do too, if you have faith. That's a statement you rarely hear in a Christian church. It takes away all the fundamentals of the church, the religion about Jesus. But it tells the religion of Jesus. You have what I do, you can do. You have the divine possibility within you. You can heal, you can rise from the dead. It's a great possibility that lies in the heart of every person. Perhaps we don't accept it literally that we're going to rise from the dead today or tomorrow or next year. But the possibility is in the eternality of life, which scientists day by day are discovering more and more. Why then do we have December 25th? 
It can be and it should be. An opportunity to live for a brief season, to express the transcendent level of ourselves and of mankind. This transcendent level is at its zenith. It's an important outlet for spiritual flow into the world. It's a marvelous opportunity to give expression to something of the God possibility that is in every person and to spread peace on earth, goodwill to men. Someone said, if there were no Christmas, we'd have to invent one. Because it has been, and always has been, a tremendous breaking up of the shell of human humanity, releasing small glimpses of the divinity. This concept of Christianity was kept alive by monks and recluses down through the ages living in caves. It was the underground source of pure, pure truth, which is so very important to all of us. Christmas is like an oasis in a strife-torn world. So often a person will say, when he doesn't realize the depth of the spirit within life, he says, what's the world coming to? He's thinking negatively. He's looking at the terrible things in the world, the strife, the crime, the terrorism, sickness, hunger. What's the world coming to? If one could look up in childlike wonder, with the myth of Jesus David birth, coming alive in his consciousness, making sense to him, he'll say, not look what the world is coming to, but look what is coming into the world. Look what is coming into the world. It's coming through people like you. Hold to the divine possibility within yourself. And look to other people out of this perspective, seeing the God possibility within them. There's a legend, there's so many legends about Christmas. There's one that I love, the origin of the Christmas tree. There's one thing that Christmas has become to many folks. It's putting up the tree, decorating it, putting on the lights, bringing it as a place of, almost a place of honor in the home. The legend is of a forester and his family who gathered around the fire on one Christmas Eve. They were celebrating, they were having some of the traditional Christmas festivities. They came and knock at the door. And opening the door, there was a child, hungry and cold. He was warmed and fed, and little hands gave the child his bed for the night. In the morning, amid singing of angels, the child was transfigured. They became aware of the fact that this was the Christ child. He said, the child broke a branch from a fir tree, and henceforth he said, this tree shall always bear its fruit at Christmas, and you shall always have abundance. Since that time, in people throughout the world, Christians and non-Christians alike, taken trees into their home and decorated them. When I was a child, this was a very important function in the home. My youth was spent during the early days of the Depression. Our family was as hard-hit as most folks. There was no money. Rarely enough to buy food, sometimes not enough for that. My mother was always very creative. She insisted that we always have Christmas, and though we sometimes didn't have money for gifts, money for the special things that you have at Christmas time, we always somehow found enough to buy a tree, which you could buy in those days for some 35 cents. Times are different now. <laughs> bring the tree into the home, mother would have us sit around and spend evening hours in the week before Christmas 
feeding ornaments for the tree. We would create these paper link chains that we'd put around the tree. We'd string garlands of popcorn, take acorns and things that we could find outside, bring in to put on the tree. And some of the few little ornaments that we'd accumulated through the years in the family. As we progressed, we had a beautiful Christmas tree. And I always insisted, because it was there throughout the week, insisted that we have a glorious Christmas time. If there was money, we would take perhaps as much as 10 cents a piece. How about creatively go out and buy a gift? In those days, the five and dime in Woolworths could buy anything for 10 cents. We'd buy one gift for one person in the family. It was always a gift for one person. Mother always had something she'd made, crocheted or knit it under the Christmas tree. We had a glorious Christmas time. Without what so often is, without what so often today is considered an essential for Christmas. People have long Christmas lists and spend hours of time being sure that there's a scarf for Joy and a watch for Mary and on and on it goes. This is fine, but so often in the process, we lose the spirit. I discovered an instance in the scripture recently, an occurrence in the book of Exodus. I think it's very relevant here. The Israelites, as you recall, had just experienced the crossing of the Red Sea, which many call a miracle, but which is seen in the light of metaphysical interpretation as an entirely different meaning. They crossed the Red Sea, and they were grateful. They went three days without water. They were in the desert, remember? Three days without water. Eventually they came to the well of Merah. But lo and behold, the water was bitter. People murmuring against Moses. Murmured in those days meant griping. They kept telling Moses, you brought us out of Egypt where we had homes and warm houses and we came out here to starve. And Moses prayed. He says, the Lord showed him a tree. He threw it into the water. And the waters became sweet. This is the first reference to pollution in history. The well was polluted. And the first anti-pollution technique, neutralizing herb. Three days without water represents a period of out of the flow of life. It promises that one can survive in the, in the wilderness experience if one keeps in tune with the infinite. Metaphysically, it describes the fact that the people were polluted in creative life, creative life stream, because they'd been engaging in impure, destructive thoughts, bringing on themselves sickness, lack, and misery. The Lord, who showed unto them a tree, not a vindictive God laying troubles on the people, represented the divine law, the law which is always present in sickness and in health, in the deserts and in the lush places of life. Moses represents the upward reach in each one of us, leading us to our good through, through red seas and through desert places into our promised land, leading us to our good. We may have our time of wilderness experiences, giving rise to lack and illness. But if we turn to the Moses factor within, the upward reach of the spirit, will be guided in the form of a tree to throw in the water, to sweeten the waters. Many are the wells that are bitter in life.
Many of the things that we look forward to eagerly in life, such as success or achievement of certain things, when we find them, they're bitter experiences. They didn't bring the joy and happiness that we thought would come with them. But the important thing is, when we turn within to our inner divine flow, the Moses factor within, we always find a tree in the direction to cast the tree into the waters, and the bitter waters become sweet. In the world where the atmosphere is polluted literally and figuratively, people pray. And if we listen, if we listen and hear the voice of spirit within, the Lord shows unto us a tree. It can be symbolically the Christmas tree that you bring in your home, that you decorate. You symbolically see this as the tree of life, which you adorn with the fruits of your spiritual consciousness. The lights that you put around the tree can represent the circle of light that we've talked about, this prayer for, for peace. You can see the tree covered with uh, butterflies representing life, strings of hearts representing love, and the link chains made out of paper representing friendship, and the dove representing peace, all adorning the Christmas tree, the tree of life within you. You erect and decorate your tree, your gift to the world. Let the Lord say unto you sometime during this season, figuratively, cast the tree into the bitter waters of life. Let your tree be your gift to the world. The crime of our cities, the hunger throughout the world, the strife that is, praise God, de depreciating and lessening because of new accords reached among people, men and nations. But you have the tree of life that you can cast into the waters and help to bring sweet waters. Many of you have read our Christmas letter when we talked about our Point of Light prayer project, which begins two weeks from today. Each person will be invited to devote just five minutes a day in United Prayer Realization. We'll provide for you a sheet each first Sunday of the month when we have our assembly, provide you with a visualization to hold and a prayer affirmation in five minutes a day. Quite often a person will say, I'm too busy to take part in a prayer project. Too busy? Too busy to give five minutes? Just five minutes a day. Quite often we hear the cry, let's put Christ back into Christmas. I think we need to say, let's put ourselves back into Christmas. Because we can keep the charade, we can do all the outer things, and let the Spirit go untouched. One thing we need to do always, and we need only nothing but a healthy imagination. Create a Christmas tree in the mind. Decorate the tree with all the things that your imagination can provide. Let this tree be your gift to mankind. Somewhere during the season, perhaps after the Christmas day is over, symbolically, figuratively, cast your tree into the waters of life. See your tree as a neutralizing agent to make the bitter waters sweet, bring peace into your home, into your relationships, into your work, Prosperity in our land, all good going forth from you. Let's put ourselves back into Christmas. Let's begin seeing with a Christmas perspective, beholding people in the light of divinity within them and from the light of divinity within ourselves. The fact is, the birth of the Christ isn't limited to one day. It belongs to an order of life that is not yet attained, a glimpse of the human race that is yet to be. 
Christmas is more than a day or not a celebration. It's Christmas whenever and wherever the human heart, empowered by the Christmas perspective, is moved to the expression of unselfish love. Thank you to join me for a moment in a visualization. I'm giving you the project of creating a Christmas tree of the mind. Let's just feel that now, and perhaps we'd like to do the work on it later. We're talking about a vision, a visualization, an image in your consciousness. Because it is a vision, an image, let's make it real. Let's see yourself going out on the street, purchasing a Christmas tree. Or perhaps if you want to do it in a more homespun way, Think of the old days when you went out into the country with your axe and you found a tree in the woods and you brought it back into the home. Install this tree in the corner of the mind. Fix it solidly so it'll stand. It'll stand there through all the season. Then, creatively, decorate your tree. Don't think of going into shops and buying all the expensive ornaments because they become more expensive every year. Let's think of creating our ornaments. Let's put little butterflies of paper, or paper mache. Let this be a spirit of life which you endow yourself. See little hearts that you put over the tree, symbolizing love that warms in your heart and goes forth to all persons. Make an old-fashioned paper link chain. Make it big enough to go all the way around the tree and up and down in a very artistic way, representing friendship. And install the circle of light. These are the little lights that need not be expensive lights in the stores. Perhaps their lights are taken from stars that are twinkling in the night. Take many stars and handfuls of them, scatter them around your tree, and the tree comes alive in a light and a glow. On the top of the tree, put an angel. Not a real angel that people have a hard time understanding. The angelic spirit of the Christ process within each person. He stands on the top of your tree with a wand in hand. Ready, if you're awake to the childlikeness within you, let that wand bring happiness and joy into your heart. And when the season is over, see yourself taking this tree out into the world and casting your tree into the bitter waters of Mara. The bitterness and the heartaches, the hunger, the depravity, the lack of friendship, heartlessness, impoverishedness everywhere. See this tree becoming your antidote to the polluted waters of life. If you can see yourself making this contribution to the peace of the world, state of welfare of mankind everywhere. It can be said that you've kept Christmas. You will have kept it whether you believe in the Christmas idea or not. Whether you've had the time and the, t and the attention and the money to provide a great Christmas for your family, all that matters not. The most important thing, you bring this antidote of the sweetness of your tree to the bitter waters of the world. Commit yourself that during the weeks to the days to come, you create this tree of the mind. Maybe symbolically a tree in the home too, but by all means create the tree of the mind. 
Commit yourself to take this tree and cast it on the bitter waters of the life. Your contribution to peace and love and harmony everywhere. Then it can be said that we've kept Christmas. As conscious as we can say, as little tiny Tim said, God bless us all, everyone. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So be it. This time every week we have a, what we call a circle of light time. Basically a time to give ourselves and our conscience, our love and our fellowship to the world. We'll touch it just briefly today because we've given our attention to the Christmas tree project. We invite you to just be still for a moment. Just envision now the, once again, the tree that you've created in your mind or the plan that you have for creating it in the days to come. Think of this tree with the lights on it as the circle of light representing the love and peace and power and all good that you surround all persons with throughout the world. See it also in the light of the commitments that you make to cast this tree upon the polluted waters of life. It may become the sweetening agent to bring peace and love and fellowship to the world. Just hold this for a moment. Sit yourself at the foot of your tree. Love it. Be a part of it. Set a king to the people everywhere. Listen to what I say. Pray for peace. People everywhere, listen to what I say. The child, the child sleeping in the night, he will bring us goodness and light. He will bring. Goodness and love. And so be it. <laughs>